All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that is often imitated but never replicated. If you're not happy listening to this podcast, seek counseling. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you Alaskan Timberwolf with the jaw strength to bite through a parking meter. How the hell are you, sir? I'm good, man. I uh, fell in love with a 19-year-old this weekend, as in Mason Graham. Already ordered the jersey, got it fresh on the way. Hopefully it's here, ready for the next game I go to, which is Purdue, November 4th. Couldn't be doing better, man. I love this. You don't mess around with your jersey purchases. I waffle for an entire season. You make a decision on like a Saturday night, 10-15, about 9 to 10 Bud Heavies deep, and you stick to it. I respect that. I commit. When I commit, I'm all the way in, two feet, ten toes down. I needed a new one this year. He's going to be back next year. And my God, we're going to get into the game he had against Minnesota and give you a good reason of why I was so quick to make this decision. We'll be touching on Mason Graham in this one. That is for certain. We will get to that game in just a moment. Let's get you caught up on what you need to know. Let's do some quick hits, please. Sir, wax poetic about Michigan hockey versus Providence. The floor is yours. Yeah, so a game one. Not fun. Straight up not having a good time. Uh, Providence is a good team. They were ranked 18th in all polls. And I've seen recently they've already moved up a couple spots based on their performance this past weekend. Michigan started Noah West in goal in game one, trying to use the Michigan method to sort out who's going to be the tender this year. Um, West did not look good, really struggled. The team struggled. Um, game two, uh, Barshevsky started the transfer from Kinesis, one of the most experienced goaltenders in the country. Played much better. Uh, Michigan won the second game 5-4. to four. Frankie Nazar, uh, Seamus Casey had a nasty backhander. Both appear to be stars on the rise. Rutger McGordy had an awesome snipe in this game, too. Michigan was up 5-1 to one at one point. It was worrisome, though, because the final score was 5-4. to four. They scored three goals in a minute and a half late in this game to make it close. And that's just a sign of a young, inexperienced team. It's kind of what you're dealing with right now. It's going to take about a month to really get their skates underneath them, understand each other, strengths, weaknesses, and just have all that chemistry figured out. But the most important thing was this weekend, they didn't get swept. They got the split. Now you can move on to UMass. My man has more flow than a Dr. Dre album. I have no notes. Well said, sir. As the uh, Maybe as the season gets a little bit deeper into its uh, maturity, I'll have some follow-up for you. But oh, yeah. as, of, as of right now, sir, well said. Uh, this bears, war, bears checking in on, and likely by the time uh, we put this podcast out, a resolution may have happened. John Bacon reported on Twitter that new Harbaugh contract is expected to be signed in the next month or so. He basically said that's that, as in this is a done deal. I'll believe it when I see it. Ward Manuel uh, doesn't necessarily have the burden or doesn't have my trust just inherently, so I need to see this one executed before I start to believe it, but it is trending in the right direction. Yeah, contract is rumored to be the biggest in the Big Ten. I believe Ryan Day is number one right now at like 10.3. Mm-hmm. 10.4. 10.4 like million, yeah, something like that. So it's a, it's going to be above that, which is, you know, just deserving. Like, I mean, if you want to sign a lifetime one, I'm fine with that. I really do not care at this point. Just get the deal done. If we if this is drug out to Thanksgiving, I mean, it's going to be a full-on riot. Like, there's just no reason it should even take this long. I am thankful at least that it's in the works and trending that way. Yeah, I mean, I can buy and distribute pitchforks. They're not that expensive. I've got a pitchfork guy 
up uh, near Dundee, and he will absolutely give me a deal if I want to buy pitchforks for the entire town of Ann Arbor. And if Ward Manuel blows this and does not get this contract done with where we sit, number two in the country, in one of our best runs of Michigan football in decades, that would be inexcusable. So, yeah, I will absolutely spend every last red cent I have on pitchforks, uh, rotten tomatoes, and we will uh, we will pepper Ward Manuel's home with them. But it does sound like things are trending in the right direction. If I had to guess, I would say something along the lines of five years, 55 million, something like that. Um, but like you said, if they want to go 10 years, if they want to go as long as they want, you'll have no pushback from me. No, I, w- I would like to see an insane buyout number in there as well to kind of quell any of the lingering NFL, uh, hard body NFL rumors that always circulate. I'd love to see a massive buyout number there. Uh, I mean, what more does he need to prove? You know, like trending towards a national championship. Michigan has been ranked in the AP top five for 22 straight weeks now. It's a program record. Been playing football a long time. We've never seen that before. Like nothing nothing else he can do to, make, to deserve this more. Yeah, I mean, when you start talking about records that uh, didn't happen back when the Spanish influenza was a concern, like you're doing pretty good here. So yeah. props to uh, props to the Harbaugh administration. Pay the man whatever he wants. And let's be done with this. Let's uh, make this a non-talking point. So hopefully we'll have something on that here soon. But like you said, like John Bacon said, end of the month is likely. So any other quick hits you wanted to touch on, sir? We're a month away from basketball. Too soon to, to pivot there yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I believe the schedule got announced, but I really don't have any takeaways at this point from it. No, no, I'm not ready for that yet. Once we get a little bit closer, we'll start uh, start allowing that to seep into the to the Michigan football content. But now I promised myself I wasn't going to cry today, so I really don't want to talk about Michigan basketball. Not when we have Michigan football this close at hand and not after the game that we saw against Minnesota at night, 52 to 10 in favor of the good guys. Sir, give me your 30,000 foot view from this. Um, just first off, like, wow, at the execution of the game plan, because the game plan has been to get ahead, stay ahead, sit the fourth quarter preparation and preservation have just been kind of the mantra behind this team for the first six games. Uh, Michigan starters have effectively not played one and a half games so far this season, just all this time to rest, less wear and tear, keeping the tread on the tires as Harbaugh likes to say, and still winning games by 42 points on the road. Just Hats off. I mean, not much more I can say. Are you low-key a little bit of a sicko like me in that you do like that feeling, that nervousness, just because it makes you feel alive? Like, oh, yeah, I actually want to feel something. The nervousness that comes with a tight game that we just haven't experienced yet this season. Do you miss that at all? You know that I am because during the Rutgers game, you texted, we were texting and I'm like, I love this. We're going to come back and we're going to kick the hell out of them. And you're like, I wish I had that confidence right now. I was also pretty hungover, but it was like, yeah, it's, it's good to have some pushback. You want them to face adversity at least a few times in this game. And although it was, I mean, a semblance of adversity in this one, like with a drive early in the second half when, you know, they had a little bit of momentum building, but nothing too much, but you know, you like it every now and again, small doses. I'm with you. I could use a little bit of it. And then I say that now and we're going to go down like 10, nothing to, to Penn state. And I'm like, I hate this. I never want this again. I want to comfortably win by 40 every single game, but yeah, it would be nice. But these are the kind of first world 
rich people problems we have this year. It is champagne problems. Yeah. Uh, another champagne problem that I have from a beatdown like this is looking at this from a 30,000 foot view. Michigan might be too good to make a lot of noise in the individual awards categories this year. Uh, Michigan might be too good to even take down the passing touchdown record that JJ McCarthy has his eyes on, I'm sure. But in games like this, when you just don't need that and you don't need that statistical output in order to get the win, you know, it might be something that you have to sacrifice. Other than that, I have zero complaints. And that just kind of goes to show you what we're talking about after by far the most dominant win of this of the year coming on the heels of previously the most dominant win of the year. That is three games back to back to back now where Michigan has had its best performance. It's it's burgeoning on ridiculous. Because like there's a world where Michigan doesn't play its starters for, for the majority of the fourth quarter in 10 games this season. Like that's on the table. Stupid. It's <laughs> silliness. Yeah. That's where we're at. And you were I and I were kind of talking off air and we were joking. Could Michigan's backup offense win the Big Ten West? And you didn't even hesitate for a beat. You said yes, absolutely. So I mean that big to that backup offense of like Giovanni El Hadi, Trente Jones, Miles Hinton, Jack Tuttle, Kalel Mullings, like Samaj, that you're probably right. That is the level of depth, and that is what P.J. Flex spoke to after this game, that this is the deepest team he's seen in 11 years as a head coach. It is a team that is executing better than any team he has seen as a head coach, and and that's where we're at, just to the point where it's almost boring for podcasting content because I don't really have a lot of nitpicks even for this. We're going to find some ways to make it interesting yeah. to talk about this, but I have no nitpicks. I have no notes. <laughs> Yeah, like we'll get into the nitty gritty of it, but it's really at like a granular level. Like we're talking about any miscues or mistakes or missed assignments. I mean, Michigan's had four penalties called in three conference games, had three against Rutgers, none against Nebraska, and one against Minnesota this weekend. Like you speak to that execution, that's coaching execution. Having Harbaugh back, like you can visibly see the difference. Like watch the first couple games. Now you see Harbaugh's coming back. You see his control of the game, just the influence. Uh, anytime there's a mistake or adjustment that needs to be made on the field, they're all over it like that. There's no more, we're going to keep playing man defense and hope for better against Paris Campbell and Ohio State. Those days are long behind us, thank God. Yeah, I remember when bracket coverage emerged, it was like the invention of the wheel or like the microwave. <laughs> We're just like, what has science wrought bracket I, coverage? I like to imagine Don Brown walking out like Steve Jobs, like in like a turtleneck with like a big screen behind him. And he's like, <laughs> man to man, man to man brackets. And then just like pops up behind him and just th <laughs> thunderous applause. <laughs> the invention of the iPhone. Exactly. Oh, man, I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, we'll get into the defense, too. Uh, we're not going to do our normal kind of awards for this game. We're going to do some midseason awards. But let's go through and do positional group grades here just so we touch on everything. Uh, let's start with the offense here. J.J. McCarthy, just another tremendous game from him, completely in command of this offense. Uh, the read option, especially down near the goal line, or as you uh, correctly uh, said in when we were talking off air and described it was more of like a duo read option, which is yeah. just fa fascinating. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But JJ's ability to know when to use his legs and still avoid the big hit, but also have that accuracy, that ability to push the ball down the field makes this offense just insanely difficult. And uh, particularly in the red zone where we've been converting at about 85% this season, just incredible stuff from this offense and JJ in particular. McCarthy getting saucy with the sweetness high step and then the stiff Ooh. arm. What was, the, what was that? I mean, 
if you're ranking quarterbacks in the country, knowing everything that you know, how many do you put above J.J. McCarthy? I haven't watched enough Drake May in order to to say. I know like a lot of the uh, the analysts and the folks that are prepping for the NFL draft like him at number two, and they say there's a gap after that. But of the the football that I've watched, and I've watched a lot this season, he's the second best. Um, if you really want to ding him for the Bowling Green game, you could maybe say Michael Penix um, has an argument for number two. Uh, he's putting up some pretty insane numbers, but hasn't played anywhere near like a, a defense that you would say is is quality. Not that <laughs> a, not that a we have either. That but. is present out there, like yeah, not cardboard. Exactly. Yeah. So he's firmly in the top three to four that I've seen this year. Where would you put him? I very very similar. I'd have him third. So I would have uh, Caleb Williams number one, uh, Gap, yeah. Drake May, and then I would have uh, McCarthy right there at third. I just. The NFL concepts he's working with within the West Coast offense, reading alerts, shifting protections, uh, throwing with anticipation, running the football. It's just it's next level stuff. And like he's doing so much above the shoulders that a lot of people don't really realize, especially compared to some of these like Pac-12 offenses like McCarthy has a lot on his plate this season and he is just handling it with comfort and abilities, hanging out with his girlfriend on the sideline of games. It's so easy for him at times. So, I mean, just in this one, it was just that personified, like ball security, in control, offensive lines doing a great job setting them up. It's just he's in complete command of the car. Like early in the year, it's kind of like, you know, he's, he's driving the Ferrari a little too fast at times. But now he fully understands how to shift gears appropriately and you see what happens. I like that comparison. In this one, he goes 14 to 20 for two t- 219 and a touchdown. He's completing over 78% of his passes on the year. This ties him with Chad Henney at this point in the season on p- uh, pace to the record. Now, we anticipate having a few extra games, so that record's still very much something that could fall this season. But overall, this felt like another A from McCarthy, particularly with what he was able to do with his legs, the two rushing touchdowns, the sauce that you alluded to. Yeah, yeah, this was an A. Uh, Let's keep on keep it moving here. The uh, the running backs in this one, I thought this was a great running back game, starting to see Donovan Edwards start to really impose his will on these teams. And I love that he breaks like a 65 yard or whatever that was, doesn't even get hit on it. So even when he breaks like a long one, he's like, ah, I'm just going to go out of bounds on this one. I've already done my damage. So that was great. The four reception from from Donovan Edwards, Donovan hitting the hole and running hard. And then Khalil Mullings really adding that third head, that third running back to this now three headed attack. Uh, this was a strong running back game. Do you agree? Oh my, it was so nice, man. Quorum just, I mean, just effortless out there for him right now. He looks hundred percent back to form average over almost eight yards of carry in this one. Got his nation leading 10th touchdown. He's on pace for Hassan Haskins record. He's not playing fourth quarters. Like <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, un- unbelievable. I mean, uh, you brought up Edwards, great game from him. Uh, eight total touches, uh, rushing and receiving average over five yards of carry, getting his legs underneath them. I uh, love what he's bringing to the table. Wish he would have gotten that touchdown. He was so close. And then Khalil Mullings. I mean, just tremendous what he's doing as a power change of pace back. Man, he's bringing so much to the table for this team. It's like you feel comfortable with all three of them. It's like you have to go back, I mean, not too far, only two years to 2021 to when you had Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum, and Edwards. But the biggest difference is all three are healthy this season and all, all three seem to be on track to stay healthy, which is more important. Which is huge. And yeah, another guy that can give you a little bit of a change of pace because while you look at him, you're like, oh, he runs similar to Corum. He's, what is he, six inches taller than Corum? Yes. He's, he's, he's six, six two, 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 two
Yeah. So, I mean, this is a much different running back than Blake Corum. This is almost more Junior like, Colson. Yeah. It's, it's more like Junior Colson with, uh, with some shimmy to him. Mm-hmm. So a dramatically dissimilar running back than either guy that we have. So it is truly like a three-way change of pace and, and what you can give. I mean, it can go like from, from guarding Isaiah Thomas to guarding like Zion Williamson, you know, or something like that with how different it is and how varied the attack can look. So this just makes Michigan all the more difficult to plan for. You know, if there's a game where you expect to see a lot of Blake Corum and then all of a sudden he's sitting in the second quarter and, and Kalel Mullings and Donovan Edwards are just jabbing you in the gut. I, I don't know what you'd do against this rushing attack. So this is another A for me. It's we can keep it moving. A. I have nothing else to add to that. Oh, also a Leon Franklin, first career rushing touchdown. Shout out Leon Franklin. Let's go, Leon Franklin. Yeah, absolutely. Deserves to be touched on here. So good for all the running backs in this one. This was the best running back game. Uh, offensive line, similarly, I'm going to give high marks to uh, the pass. Yeah, the pass protection in this game was just outrageous. Uh, but then the run grading and the complexity of some of the stuff that they're doing, the, the stuff that doesn't really excite a lot of people, but I know gets you excited. So I'm going to let you cook here on the offensive line. So most teams run about four or five concepts really well. In this game, Michigan ran their best concept, their duo play, only twice. And in total, including duo, they ran 15 different run schemes. 15. That is unbelievable. You don't see that from Division I programs like this. Like, you just, you do not see that. And they did it so effectively, too. Like, you didn't even notice. Like, they're putting more stuff out there. You forget some of the stuff they've run before. Like, some of the under center powers and things like that. And the isolations. Like, the offensive line now that they have their five. Is just going to get better. You saw last week they had a step with all five out there, and now you saw a step. And I think it's just going to continue all the way the rest of the season. And it's like Joe Moore Award is in contention again this year. Sure, 100%. 100%. Yeah, wanted to bring that back up where we stand on that. And it's so funny because before we won back to back, I don't think we mentioned Joe Moore. Never heard of it. Any- <laughs> no. You know how many podcasts we did before 2021? I mean, we did like 300-something podcasts. We never mentioned Joe Moore Ward once. And now we're always watching it every week, keep an eye on who else has got a pretty good offensive line. I don't really know who else is in contention, like I said, this year. I mean, I would think still Washington, like Washington Georgia. Because, yeah, because they haven't – I mean, they've made, they had to have allowed a sack by now. Yeah, like two sacks, I think. It, weeks. It's, it's yeah. really similar to Michigan. I think Michigan's only allowed two or three. So it's like – all those schools are right in the room. I bet Penn State's probably in the conversation as well. Yeah, so it'll be fascinating. Something we'll certainly keep an eye on. But this was another excellent offensive line grade. Let's keep it moving. Let's go to the wide receivers. Uh, let's have a little CJ discussion. Had a drop third down um, and that came back immediately after that with uh, the big play later on. And that was just huge. Great to see from CJ. And what is CJ? Is he like a really good possession receiver or is he like a not that great number one? It's so hard to like place him. Like you and I were talking during the game. Like, does he have to like have like a small miscue and then make an amazing play to like immediately come back from it? What I love that he does that because a lot of guys yeah. will kind of spiral and make several mistakes, but that 50, 50 catch he made was incredible. Like the body control, the fact he got interfered with, it wasn't called SPI. Fought through it was was amazing. I do like that JJ is making a concerted effort to give his receivers more 50-50 balls and just letting them fight for it. I like seeing that kind of confidence in the unit, but I, it's so hard to play CJ, man. I think he's a little less, he's, he's less than a number one, but I think he's above average number two. 
That sounds right to me. I think he's an above average number two and capable of a lot more. It would be fascinating to just give him a little bit more, feed him a little bit more and see what he's capable of. But I do love that he, like you said, if he has a bad play, like he takes it personal and he's like, oh, it's CJ time, baby. And uh, yeah, that that 50-50 ball was totally uh, P.I. So I'm glad that he was able to make that catch because that would have been very upsetting had uh, he, he missed that one. So uh, got to give props to CJ for coming back on that one. And uh, Roman Wilson, and continues to be very good at football. Yeah, Roman Wilson was awesome in this game because he was there when you needed him, like in that drive in the third quarter to really put this thing away and open it up to 31-10. J.J. went to Roman on that key third and seven, went to him again to keep moving the ball down. And I just feel like when Roman Wilson wants to be open, he gets open, and there's not much you can do about it. I'm with you. Uh, last thing I wanted to say on the wide receiver room is we were kind of talking, trying to figure out who the next guy is that's going to emerge. I just want to shake the talent around and see what sifts out with this room. I really do like, so I want to get some balls distributed. Um, even if it's Jack Tuttle throwing it around late in games, I'd really like to see what we have with some of these guys, particularly against like Indiana this week, where I think that we could absolutely house Indiana and this thing can be over again by the third quarter. I'd like to see what we have in Samaj Morgan, Tyler Morris, Frederick Moore, some of these dudes. There's a lot of talent there. And I think at some point you're going to want to know who your guys are moving forward. If I had to power rank the wide receiver number three right now, I would go number one, Samaj Morgan. They make an effort to get him at least one catch every game, especially on that little swing pass. They love getting him the ball in space like that. We've already seen the uh, back shoulder touchdown he brought in. I would put Tyler Morris number two, and I would put Darius Clemens number three. Like He's been playing a lot more. He's been really getting involved in the run game, which I like to see. And it's like, I, I like where they're at right now, but I'm also with you. I want to see someone just kind of take the mantle as that third guy. Yep. 100%, particularly since we're probably losing CJ and Roman. So there are yeah. ample balls to be caught next year. We don't even know who our quarterback's going to be. And we certainly don't want to get ahead of our skis here and start talking about next season. But this is the fact of the matter that we are going to have to have some new wide receivers. So, uh, yeah, this was a good wide receiver game. B plus, A minus, whatever you want to do. Yeah, we'll go B, B plus just to change it up. But this was an awesome wide receiver game. Uh, tight ends in this one. What were your thoughts? Oh man. A again, the block. Like, I don't know how to like, just like fully express my love for Max Bredesen and what he brings to this team. He is what fans wanted Ben Mason to be. That's what he is. He is such a better blocker. And that holding he got called on was such BS. That was just a smothering block. It was perfect textbook. Like he's doing tremendous things in the backfield. Uh, Barner and Loveland are also doing great things blocking in space. Barner's looking a lot more comfortable as a receiver week in and week out. JJ really likes to go to him and Loveland finally got his first touchdown of the year. Like I think they were trying to get that like out there, just finally get the monkey off the back sort of say, because they tried to get him on the seam and they're like, all right, we'll just get him on this one. And he just walked into the end zone, like tremendous game from the tight ends again. Yeah, it definitely felt like a concentrated effort to to break the seal on the the Loveland scoring and feels like a second half that's much bigger, a lot, a lot bigger statistically is in yeah. order for him. Definitely wanted to touch on A.J. Barner, who's gotten better and better and better. We noticed in those early games, despite the fact that he wasn't playing that great, they got him a lot of snaps. So that says to me that this is a coaching staff that likes what they have and, and recognize that he's going to be a huge part of this team moving forward. And you're seeing dividends now. You're seeing a really impactful player as a blocker, he's improved and uh, another just another outlet for JJ that you can rely upon. I don't know if he has any drops this season. Can you think of any off the top? If he did, it was like first two games. He's been pretty sure handed since then. 
And maybe one, but I mean, very sure-handed, very soft hands for a tight end his size as well. And you're right. He's going to play a factor late in this season. But like with tight ends, especially, they do a lot of dirty work over the middle. You don't want him taking these hits. Like you don't need it right now. And they're just really balancing those out. <clears throat> and a receiver, they can only take so many hits throughout the year. So let's just save him for later. I'm with you on that one. Uh, anything else on the offense before we switch it over to the defense? No, I think we covered it. Oh, uh, let's... Um, one thing, uh, the second team offense, like we, we talked a little bit in jest about if they could win the Big Ten West. Um, a lot of people are taking strides in that. Like Giovanni Alhadi looks great. Mm. Like Trente Jones looks great. Um, Greg Crippen looked great in this one. Let's go. Uh, and the, I know the run on third and seven or third and 11 by Jack Tuttle will get the first down. It seems like the second team is a lot more engaged now in these games, and like really like using it as like a learning opportunity, a chance to like take some steps forward for the future. I love how hard they're playing in this, really keeping the foot on the gas because like you can feel that throughout the program. Like if you go out there and just kind of half ass and get to the end, that can have a, a negative trickle down effect. So I love what I saw from the second team in this game as well. That's a great call out. That was one of our nitpicks early was that we wanted to see the second unit more engaged and be able to at least move the ball a little bit. Yeah. Uh, not, you know, like we said, th there's never going to be the full second unit out there unless there's like a plane crash or something and we lose the entire, you know, first team offense. So, uh, but just seeing those guys more engaged, I totally agree. That's a great call out there. Let's move over to the defense there, sir. My 30,000 foot view of this defense is you take one big play out from every single one of these games. This is statistically the best defense in maybe several years, maybe ever. I mean, this defense is uh, like real points are giving up about three a game. I mean, you take away some just boneheaded mistakes, some stuff late in games, and then uh, some blown coverages in the back end. All in all, this defense is suffocating. And my favorite part, they correct their mistakes in game. If there's something happening, Jesse Minter is on top of it and they correct their mistakes. So this defense has just been so much fun to watch. Jesse Minter and just this entire staff have done such a good job with everybody. You can, I mean, we've talked about how much you can see the impact of Chris Partridge and over George Hilo at the linebacker position. But Jesse Minter, man, like in year two of this system, kind of year three, because McDonald kind of gave him like an introductory lesson to it, like are just getting better. Every game look more comfortable, rotating players in the back end, which you rarely see teams do rotating defensive linemen rotating linebackers like again the eye is the eye of the prize is at the end of the season keeping it there it's all about preparation and preservation and the defense is still just suffocating opponents number one scoring defense in the country halfway through the year Let's go and should be a little bit better. You and I are yep. kind of like lamenting some of these scores that we've let up that shouldn't have happened. And I'm pretty sure the defense probably feels similarly in the sense that like there's still room to grow, still room to improve. Uh, let's go through this position by position, sir. Let's uh, where do you want to start here? Let's start on the defensive line. Let's not bury the lead. Oh, let's not bury the lead. And that is the daily double for the day because we're going to talk some Mason Graham, sir. Mason Graham just out there doing advanced wrestling moves, both Olympic and WWE style. This was his best game of the year. This was probably the best game a defensive lineman has played for the University of Michigan this year. And that's saying something because we've had some doozies. So you set me up perfectly there. This is my nickname suggestion. So there was a professional wrestler, one of the most influential of all time. Actually, uh, Hulk Hogan kind of bit his gimmick to become who he was with all the Hulkamania stuff. Superstar Billy Graham was his name. So hey, superstar Mason Graham, 
because that's exactly what he is. He has the wrestling pedigree. He plays like a rock star. It was unbelievable what he did in this game. Like they moved him up and down the line of scrimmage. It was one of the biggest adjustments we've seen all season from the defense where the stretch outside zone was getting some, like getting a little, some leverage issues. So Jesse Minter adjusted, put the defensive end at the six tech, moved Mason Graham around like a chess piece. Um, he beat the tackle. He beat the guard. He beat the center. I mean, you could line up two of them. It didn't even matter. He's tackling the quarterback sideways through the air. Like, what's more superstar Billy Graham wrestling than that? Just a tremendous performance. Best defensive tackle performance I've seen at Michigan since 2017. Uh, yes, since going back to the Mohurst. Uh, Florida game. Mohurst, Florida. Yep, I completely agree with you there. Um, elegant, strong, wonderful nickname. There's nothing too overly complex about it. It works in every single way. I like it. Unless someone has something better, we're sticking with that for now. Every other point you made completely, I'm just going to second and, and add on to it. That was great. I think, though, we need to do, in honor of Mason Graham having the best defensive tackle performance we've seen in years, we need to do the top five Grams. It's only right. Let's do this. Let's go. At number five, coming in from the movie Boogie Nights, we got roller girl Heather Graham. She was a very foundational piece of my childhood, let's just say. Uh, yeah, I, Heather Graham. Do we need to say anything more? formative years it's hard to like really describe yeah. how big of a movie star she was like in the second austin powers when that was like a cultural phenomenon heather graham was a big deal some people remember her from the hangover uh very funny in that movie as well but perfect number five great number five let's keep it moving at number four i've got moonlight graham the right fielder from the 1920s that inspired ray to build a baseball field and field of dreams you might forget about him but james earl jones made him a a household name where i come from so i got moonlight graham at number four it's really impressive the fact that he played right field because you mostly put the player there that sucks so good for moonlight <laughs> making it up to number four that's pretty high for in the Graham rankings. At number three, you got Jimmy Graham, former tight end for the Saints. Look, 1,200 yards receiving and 16 touchdowns in 2013. You're making the top five Graham list. We might have to move him down to number four. Like, what have you done the last 10 years, Jimmy? Still coasting on 2013? That's true. Is Alexander Graham Bell eligible here? We already ranked him in our top five Bells. Oh, But man. he's a hyphenate. Could he double dip? Mm, could he no. double dip could we no. move jimmy graham down and alexander graham bell up no i mean he invented the phone he doesn't need anything else he's fine it's fine he's good jimmy graham above <laughs> alexander graham bell all right I, I have no notes on that at number two crackers graham crackers inspired <laughs> by the teachings of 19th century religious leader sylvester graham the graham cracker serves as the primary ingredient and structural bed on which the s'more is built upon no notes. I, I have no pushback. This is a cemented number two. Perfect. Graham crackers. Absolutely. At number one, I've got Mason Graham. I think he's firmly above crackers. Crackers are great, but I can't subsist on them. Uh, I can subsist on Mason Graham highlights. Yeah, 100%. Mason Graham's number one, especially after the Minnesota performance. Did it with only three limbs. Like to see yep. Moonlight Graham play baseball with three limbs. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that sequel to Field of Dreams. Is that, is that Field of Nightmares? <laughs> 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 I like this, sir. Yeah, that is great. And in honor of Mason Graham, the, those are your top five Grams of all time. But the defensive line in this one was great. My Braden McGregor agenda remains quite strong. Another batted ball. He has been outstanding and getting better week in and week out. I love that that's a thing now. Like with this defense, yeah. like use your size, bat the ball down. Like especially with like playing some shorter quarterbacks, like you can get in these throwing lanes and like – wreaks some havoc even if you can't get all the way to the quarterback McGregor especially because he's huge what is he six six like yeah 
all six six massive wingspan there. So no, he's been playing tremendous. Everybody up and down the line has been like Rayshon Benny, Cam Good, even like the ones deeper in the roster. But sir, it's time we have a conversation. Is Josiah Stewart the best pass rusher on this team? I'm so glad you brought that up. We need to have a Josiah Stewart discussion here because that dude has got it. Whatever it is, he certainly has it. And you see him starting to come on. You see him starting to pick up the playbook. And his impact has really been felt the last two weeks. I'm not ready to say that he is definitively yet because Braden McGregor is also ascending. Derek Moore is also ascending. Um, Jalen Harrell still playing extremely well, but yeah, maybe doesn't still super high. Like he's just remained at that yeah. level. Yeah, uh, so I'm not ready to go there just yet, but he certainly has entered the conversation where he was falling behind. Now I would put him in the first two names that I mentioned. Um, I would go him and Braden McGregor have been overall the best thus far, but it is close. And it's, it's a complete game now. So like early in the year, we'd see the pass rushing prowess. We've, that's been evident ever since he got on campus in the spring game. But now we're seeing the smart plays, like setting the edge against the runs, crashing down the line of scrimmage, just doing all this stuff and just really laying to rest all those questions about his size in the big 10 because he has been dominating like like bigger offensive linemen all season you saw it against nebraska last week you saw it against minnesota in spades like that third and fourth down sequence or second and third down sequence he had in this game was one of the best i've seen all year by an edge player at michigan undersized so we were kind of questioning that coming in we're like would he be big enough to hold yeah, up against fairly. the big 10 and yeah, he he really, really can. Uh, that has not been an issue. Looks out there more like a linebacker, but one of those hybrid linebackers that you see kind of like how we would sometimes line Josh Uche up, but definitely how New England lines Josh Uche up now where you're kind of a hybrid. And that's as far as his body type, but he can do a lot more than that. And we can line him up um, primarily on the edge, but you can pull him back off of the line a little bit as well. So I like what I've seen with Josiah Stewart. All in all, this defensive line gets another A, A-plus again for me. I mean, this has been the, the unit of the team so far this year. Last year, it was pass rush by committee out of necessity because there wasn't a star. This year, it's pass rush out of committee just because we're spoiled because you have that many stars up and down the roster. There's a noticeable difference difference with like the consistent impact all of these players are having. And like we talked about it before the season about needing the number one. This team is full of number ones now up and down the line of scrimmage. And it's just, it's something I didn't see coming. We had high expectations for this unit, but I mean, they've exceeded all of them. Yeah. And even Cam Good is low key. Awesome. Awesome. Like, good at football. <laughs> like those pass rushing sets, like I, I just mentioned the Josiah Stewart plays that defensive front was Derek Moore, Rayshon Benny, Cam Good, and Josiah Stewart. Like all, if, if you're, <laughs> if you're just watching and not like, uh, numbers tracking and box score tracking. And like, you, you would not know, you would not notice a difference whatsoever when they sub out at any position. It's that level right now. They do it so fast to almost every series keeps everybody fresh. Like we talked about the quarters, like they're in the games they're saving early on. We, we don't even go to the next level about all the series. They're not like laying on because everyone's rotating so much in there. You're just saving even more and more. So you're really fresh by week 10, 11 and 12. Yeah, just rotating with pace. I love to see it, sir. Uh, let's move to the linebackers who have been maybe the the most hidden and least discussed <laughs> position group on this team because they don't have much to do this year. They really don't. Like, again, Junior Colson, who we predicted, like, for sure would be the leading tackler. Three tackles. Just not a lot of work to do. 
doesn't have much to do. Just be there in case anything gets by the the front four, front five. Uh, and if it happens to clean it up and they do that, they do that extremely well. So uh, kind of easy work for the linebackers. Ernest Hausman had five total tackles in this one. So probably his best game as well as a half tackle for loss. But all in all, this group is just kind of asked to just be in position and and yet don't let anyone buy you. The funniest thing is this year. So Junior Colson leads the team in tackles. He's 39th in the Big Ten in tackles. He has 27. Number one is an Iowa linebacker that has 74. <laughs> so that guy's on pace for 150. Yep. And we're on pace for under 60 for our leading tackler. This perfectly illustrates what I was saying last week, that they're just not, not being tested. No. And it's just all about saving for the end of the year. Like all focus is there. Like that's, that's when it matters right now. All that matters is winning uh, this game early on linebackers kind of struggled getting sealed off in some of those runs. But once mentor made the adjustments and the defensive ends could crash a little bit, really opened up for them to fill those uh, run gaps. And they just stepped up. Might've been Ernest Hausman's best game. He had a play mm -hmm. in the backfield that like a lot of linebackers don't make like the running back was running past him for a route and he's like shoved him backwards. And they were like, what are you doing? It's like, well, you're behind the line of scrimmage. I can shove you backwards. It's my right in football. And that's what he did. You don't see that from sophomore linebackers. You never see that. So savvy veteran play by him. The unit just keeps getting better, man. Can't say enough that good things about Barrett Colson or Houseman so far in the season. It's weird seeing Houseman out there when Stewart's out there and Houseman's bigger than Stewart. You're just like, what's <laughs> happening here? And Houseman's sneaky fast too. He's a big dude. Like he's kind of a freak. So yeah. excited that we get him for a couple more years. Uh, B plus for the linebackers for me. This was a great game. Uh, the secondary. I'm so excited to talk about the secondary. The return of first of his name, William Johnson. Now he's been back for a couple games, but came back with a vengeance on play two in this one. And what a luxury to just spot the Michigan Wolverine seven to our defense right out of the gate. Absolutely beautiful. I knew we were in for a nice, enjoyable, relaxing evening of football. As soon as that happened, I was like, look, if, if you're going to spot us seven and Will Johnson's just going to be in your head cooking like that, this game's all but over. It's all over, but the crime. The disguise was so beautiful too. It uh, Johnson gave the look like it was cover four, like they're going to have four deep players, but in actuality it was cover two. So he came down immediately. That's his man. Picked the ball off. Even talking the post game that yeah, I was baiting him into that. Came down, took it, and there was no question that he was going to score that. It was just beautiful. It was textbook. It's exactly what you and I wanted to see coming into this game. We had talked that like. I want to see the secondary. I need to see him step up a little bit. Like you need to get your reps against these lesser teams before you get your reps against the better teams. And that was a perfect way to start the game. Sure was not to be outdone. Keon Sab later after giving up a big pass makes up for it by taking it back, getting his own house call another pick six. When's the last time we had back to, we had two pick sixes in a game. Do you recall? It hasn't 20, happened since we've been covering them. Has it, it? Um, it has 2017 Cincinnati. 2017 Cincinnati Tyree Cannell Almanac Tyree Cannell and Lavert Hill both pulled one my guy I love it well it's been a while <laughs> it has been a while um yeah Keon Keon gets blamed a little bit but that pit that touchdown's more on Mikey Mikey got smoked and in the in the post game he even said as much like they had the, a weird defense out there it was the wrong defense but they were kind of betting on them just running the football to kick the field goal so Mikey got let, left one-on-one um, even uh, after he let it up, mentor told Mikey, like, 
I could probably could have done a little bit more to help you there. Talking about having Keon maybe cheat over a little bit. But Mikey owned it because he's a leader, because he's a man. Was like, nope, I just got to win my one-on-one next time. Maybe shove him, get a little more physical at the line of scrimmage, disrupt the route, disrupt the timing, use the boundaries, the sideline maybe. But again, they make a mistake and they don't make it again. And how mad can you be when this defensive secondary had more interception return yards than passing yards allowed. If you take away that long touchdown, Minnesota had 17 yards passing. Ridiculous. I mean, look, the Michigan secondary had more interception return yards than Minnesota had passing yards. So uh, I'm not going to give this anything other than an A. Sorry to spoil you. I mean, if you want to knock the Mikey, uh, you know, giving that one up there, that's fine. But the way I look at it is if I saw Mikey Sainra still stealing the purse of an elderly woman, I would assume the elderly woman's in the wrong. Yeah, she's in the yeah, wrong. She, even she had it coming. Even then, Mikey's going to learn, though. Just take the P.I. Like, it's not like a spot foul in the NFL. It's just 15 yards, and there's 13 seconds left in the half. Like, just take the P.I. Right. there, but he's going to learn yeah. from it. Yeah, so this is an A for me, particularly, like I said, when your secondary outscores the entire other team. I can't give you anything other than A. I mean, that is, we, we did our uh, power rankings, what was it, last year, where we talked about the ultimate momentum-shifting plays. The pick six is the ultimate momentum-shifting play, and to start the game off with one and then to just absolutely deflate it later on in this one, that was an outstanding job by this secondary. And, yeah, getting to see the, uh, the Ferrari out of the garage, the cover is off, um, and it was at full speed on a country road and I really enjoyed watching it. That was great. Uh, overall, man, this, this defense has just been as fun as the offense has been. I've had maybe as much fun watching the defense. It's just, it's so much trust on both sides of the ball right now. Like you trust the offense is going to score every possession and you trust the defense is going to prevent the opposition from scoring every possession. Like you're kind of just like taken aback when the opposite happens. What is this? Like forgetting that it's football and things happen. So yeah, man, a complete blessing right now. I mean, the Michigan scoring defense is number one in the country. The Michigan scoring offense, I believe is up to 17 now. Just took a leap after this 52 point outing. It's exactly what you wanted to see. Yeah, even though, uh, what was it? It was only 34 points of it or whatever came from the offense. But mm-hmm. regardless, it all counts. Um, special teams, good special teams performance. Anything you wanted to touch on there? James Turner made one in this one. Yeah, James Turner continues to just be lights out ever since a couple early misses in the year. Tommy Doman, the weapon, had one punt in this one. You love to see it. Um, the only thing I'm waiting on for special teams is the game-breaking play, whether that be a blocked mm-hmm. punt, a return touchdown, um, a big field goal, something like that, a fake punt. You're waiting on it, but like knowing Jay Harbaugh, he's got one in the bag, just waiting to reveal it. Yep, I'm with you, sir. Uh, Doman the Showman currently averaging 47 yards per punt. That's more than current NFL punter Brad Robbins ever averaged in a single season. So he's had yeah, a good suck year. It, Brad. Hasn't had suck. <laughs> <laughs> right. On this podcast, we we stand for railroad tycoon Brad Robbins. Yeah, uh, we do. And it's like if 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 um damn his name escaped me. If Tommy Doman had enough, what was his average? 47 right now. Yeah, if he had enough punts to qualify, he would be in the top 10 in punting average right now because number eight is 47.1, number seven, 48. So if he had enough punts to qualify on the season, he'd be one of the best doing it. Just doesn't need to go to work that often. Pretty easy day for for Doman the Showman. Gotta love it. Uh, Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to mix it up a little bit for how we do our mid-season awards. We do this every year, but we got some new categories. Try and make this one fresh for you. We're going to talk through some of the, the best that we've seen from every position group. Best plays, best moments, best catch. 
all of that good stuff. We got that. We're going to talk about the Detroit Lions, what happened in the Big Ten in week six. Look around college football. We got a lot more for you. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. All right, we are back and we are righteous men. College football remains very good. We've got some midseason awards that we want to get to in this one. Really excited about this. Michigan currently, as you know, sitting at 6-0. and No surprises there. It, the way we got there, a little bit different than we imagined. It has been dominant, but wanted to do our midseason awards so we can break this down, get a little bit more granular, give out some uh, some awards and some praise to some folks that helped us get here. Let's get to it, man. I've been waiting for this all year. I mean, it's always nice to have a midterm test. See where you stand. Absolutely. Let's start here. Start easy for you. The offensive freshman or redshirt freshman that has popped to start the year. It has to be Samaj Morgan. I mean, the touchdown, the back shoulder, he seems to be leading the clubhouse for wide receiver three in this one. Haven't seen too much else from other position in terms of youngsters moving up yet. I think it's got to be Samaj. This is the correct one. There was some Tyler Morris talk there. He's a sophomore. Frank, is he? I thought he was a redshirt freshman. He's a sophomore. Oh, that's right. You already, we literally, you went over this last week. This is going to be a you bit write, now that you just think Tyler Morris is a freshman this year. <laughs> Tyler Morris is going to be in the NFL and I'm just going to be expecting him to show up on, on spring camp. <laughs> Newcomer yeah, of the sure. game. He did really well against Washington. Tyler Morris. <laughs> Tyler Morris has been with the 49ers for years. Uh, Samaj Morgan. Yeah, so I agree with you there. Uh, Benjamin Hall was kind of hoping for him to show up a little bit. That was a guy we heard about preseason. He hasn't shown up. So just the one touchdown from Samaj Morgan, but I like what I've seen. I think he's going to be a guy eventually for him. So I like that. How about on defense? Defensive freshman of the halfway point so far. Freshman's tough. It is. Yeah, you got to go with kind of like some garbage time minutes yeah i would say you'd have to look i'd say gyre hill then i would say gyre hill has played rotationally and has played very well as a true freshman on this team i think what he's done and has brought out a lot like if you want to say redshirt freshman you can say Keon sab i think that's the obvious one but i'm looking more the, yeah that's a true freshman so i would say gyre's that but if you want the red shirts uh redshirt freshman it's clearly got to be Keon. I had Keon Sab here because I included redshirt freshman, but yeah, of true freshman, I would agree with you that it's been yeah. Jair Hill. There's nobody else really like the, these guys Cameron, are just getting Cameron in, in garbage Brandt time. Late in games, you know? Yeah. Really showing out. Um, like I haven't really done too much scrubbing of the tape of these like late in these blowouts, but it's Keon Sab. I think I'm really excited about what Keon Sab could be and him in that secondary next year with Will Johnson. That's a pretty good foundation. That's a good start. That's a good start to your secondary. So excited about what he could be. Uh, let's go on offense here. Give me your surprise offensive standout of the first half. Somebody that you were not expecting to show out, but has really had a, a good season so far. 
Oh, I was expecting him to show out. I was there. I was ground floor pounding the table. It is Khalil Mullings. Khalil Mullings has been a rock star so far this season. I didn't expect him to be this good, but I was at least expecting him to be RB3. But man, he has been just a revelation this season for him. I love to see what he can be with a full year at the position. I don't know if you were pounding the table. You were like forcefully tapping was, it with one to two fingers. I was shaking it a little bit. I was shaking, shaking it. Shaking the table. <laughs> like when Brett Bielema takes a seat, the table shakes a little. It was me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, you, you are right. You called Colel Mullings as running back number three. I thought it was going to be Benjamin Hall. Colel Mullings looks incredible. 6'2", 240 pounds coming at you at that speed. Good night. I agree that uh, also just didn't didn't really see it coming. Everybody else that has shown up, we kind of expected it. Uh, didn't know that Roman Wilson was going to be quite this good statistically, but did expect him to be the number one. So it's got to go to Mullings here. What about on the defensive side of the ball, sir? The surprise defensive standout of the first half. A lot of names because you go like Quentin Johnson. He has an interception. Josh Wallace has been very reliable in consecutive weeks now, not really tested too much. Um, you go Houseman if you didn't think that. I'm going to go kind of a deeper cut on this one. It may not be the 100% like right answer compared to other people, but I've been so impressed with him. We've mentioned his name a couple times already. Cam Good. Cam Good has been I mean, I never, I did not think he had this in him. Like we saw like spare minutes last year. He slimmed down a little bit. He's moving quicker laterally. He's just playing more powerful, playing with good leverage. I've been blown away at the strides he's taken this offseason. Slimmed down, but still needs to go sideways to fit through a door. The only one bigger than him, wider than him in the Big Ten is actually Brett Bielma. So not a, not <laughs> another player. Brett Bielma put on some weight. But yeah, Cam Good's been awesome, man. Like he's huge. And you're right. He did slim down to get to where he's at right now. But looks like a slimmed down. With air quotes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he does look like a traditional run stuffing defensive tackle. I've been very impressed with him. Um, some other names worth mentioning here, Kenneth Grant. I didn't know it was going to be this good, this fast. I didn't know that he would kind of, I don't know that he's eating into tackles. There was uh, or yeah. into snaps. There was uh, the injury to Mason Graham, but they were also mixing him in a little bit more than I thought they would early on. So yeah. that's really great. But then Josiah Stewart for the last two, two weeks has been outstanding. And yeah. I didn't think he'd be anything more than rotational and maybe some depth. So that's on me. I was wrong about Josiah Stewart. He's been great. So any one of those, if I have to pick one, I'll go with, well, I really like your Quentin Johnson one too. Um, yeah, I'll go with Quentin actually. Good. I think that's really uh, that's good. A- as much as I was just talking about Josiah Stewart, Quentin Johnson, we didn't even expect to say his name. Yeah. I mean, just the way he's provided the depth in the back end, had an interception. He had a good, great pass breakup against Nebraska uh, on a fourth down stop. It's just been very reliable, and you'd love to see that from the veteran players, especially after like kind of the miscue he had in the TCU game, which gave up a big play. So I love to see a guy bounce back, similar to Khalil. Yeah, 100% there. Uh, next category here, best with the ball in his hand. So best playmaker of the first half. This one might not be as much of a home run as you, you think. There's three options here. Let's not get too cute about it. And I'm going with the best player on the team still, in my opinion. That's Blake Corum. Like, my God. Like, what he does in space, he could shake you in a phone booth and you wouldn't touch him. Like, he is so elusive and he's still so powerful with what he does. Looks even better at the goal line now than he has in the past. Like, he's running so hard. The quickness is there. The speed is there. He reached the speed faster than he did in the Washington game per advanced stats, like uh, the Washington game two years ago when he like just flew down the sidelines. So just tremendous so far from Corum. Like, and this isn't, I mean, this is the kind of the consensus pick here, but like got to keep it real. 
I thought maybe we could have some debate with the year that Roman's having, but it's not necessarily what he's doing with the ball in his hands. It's just that he's getting open and he's making the catches. It's once you put the ball in his hands, it's still Blake Corum. Let's not overcomplicate this only five foot eight, but legs wider than Bielma's neck and just can't be stopped in the open field. Just getting going too, only getting stronger. He's still the best player on the team. Like you said, so let's, let's keep it going there. Uh, Best tackler on the team or hardest hitter. This is well, this is an interesting one. So, this, like best tackler is really interesting because I think Will Johnson's an exceptional tackler, and that's kind of not that. a thing you associate with a cornerback. But like the player that's really flashed to me this season, like we talked about, Junior Colson leading the team. I'm going with his counterpart. I'm going Michael Barrett. Michael Barrett has been really good, especially in open field. Had the forced fumble last week as well. I think he is just like he added some weight, so he's not getting moved around as much. And I think he is just even more forceful this season at like a natural linebacker position. So I'm going with Barrett. That That is great. I completely agree with everything that you said right there. Junior Colson is still the best tackler on the team. Michael Barrett is the hardest hitter on the team, but how about Mason Graham and his ability oh, as a, as a tackler, like in the middle there, just those extra tackles that aren't making it to the second level. Those are adding up. How many yards have Chris Jenkins and Mason Graham alone stopped? From, you know, and how many first downs have they prevented? So those guys are extremely good at getting off of their block and making the tackle. So no wrong answer here on a defense like this. I mean, maybe there is a wrong answer, I guess. Maybe it would be like Josh Wallace. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong answer. Deceptive nominee, though. Mikey Sainer still. Yeah, great tackle. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's Colson or, or Barrett as well there. Uh, let's go most impactful transfer on offense. There's only a couple names here to mention, but nonetheless, I think it's a little bit more of a debate than it would have been if we did this after week three. Yeah, uh, I'm still going with Drake Nugent here. I believe it's one of the hardest positions on the offensive line at Michigan. The the center sets the protection. The quarterback can veto it after the fact, but he has to set it first, adjust assignments up and down the line. So a lot of chemistry, a lot of communication, a lot thrust onto your plate. I think he's been outstanding. He's been one of the best centers in football. He's probably going to be a Remington finalist. I don't think he can win the outland like Olu did, but Nuge has been incredible in the interior and he's just getting better. Yeah, he's one of our best bets for individual awards, yep. I would say, early on right now. And we'll see. Um, is there even a case for Barner or Henderson? Henderson, I, I would say more, more so for Henderson because he's come on late. He's really solidified the line without him. It kind of looked in flux at times. So I think there's a case. Also, he's might be one of the most likable humans I've ever heard speak. Yeah, He said he came yeah. to Michigan, embraces the competition. He and Miles Hinton are best friends. Like That's why he came here, was to be pushed and to compete with people. And it's like, that kind of attitude's infectious. Like Listen to how we're talking about it. Imagine hearing that in the building every day. So I, I don't think his impact can be like overstated. I love that mentality so much. And that's why I'm always going to be more okay with paying recruits, or excuse me, paying transfers NIL money over recruits because that type of mentality with that type of background, what we've seen and now starting to play himself back into that second round discussion. I have no idea if he's there yet, but he's trending back towards that direction now, just with the position that he plays being on an offensive line as effective as this and really coming along in the last couple of weeks. But I agree with you. Most impactful offensive transfer has been Nugent, but Barner's played a lot for this yes. team. I do want to give him a little praise, especially since and he's, he's gotten a lot better. Like it started off a, a little rough for him, but he's gotten a lot yep. better in recent weeks. 
Yep. And I, I totally respect guys that stick with it and improve. Yep. And you can see that improvement week to week. Love it. Uh, most impactful transfer on defense. Uh, I mean, it's got to be Josh Wallace, right? Just by virtue of playing cornerback number two. Hausman's been great, but uh, I, I think there's a drop off. He's 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 climbing up. He's climbing up. But with the with the guys that were out in our secondary early on, I think Josh Wallace was a really nice calming force there in the back half in those early games. And uh, yeah, it, Josiah Stewart started to rise up this list, but I still got Josh Wallace. Okay, no, that's a great answer. I love your reasoning behind it. I'll still go with Jos- uh, Josiah Stewart, but I don't want to like oh like forget to mention how important Ernest Hausman has been and how important yep. he's going to be to the future of this defense as well. So all three have been very impactful. Yep. All three oh, also, uh, does Cam Good still count as a transfer? I could d- double dip still on a- Cam Good stock here. Man, you are just snorting the lines of Cam Good right off the <laughs> countertop. Between that and Mason Graham, baby, give me the D tackles. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, yeah, we could talk about Cam Good here. Yeah, any anybody that didn't start their career with Michigan, I would say, is fair game. Yeah, it's. I mean, we hit on the big three. That's like, I just, it, I, I'm so impressed at how like the interior guys on both sides of the ball have really taken to the schemes, and it's like. When you get these guys later in their career, even Houseman, I mean, so early in his career, like the importance for the next level is there and there's no messing around. Like this is the not screwing around crew and you can see it. I think Houseman's going to be massive, massive for this team next year. I think he's just building towards something big, but so far this year, and I like what I've seen from Josh Wallace too. This isn't just like by virtue of just of being the second corner. Like he's actually played well. So so. close to that interception week one. So close. So close. Let's let us not forget. Uh, All right, let's keep it moving, sir. Best offensive lineman. The category starting to spice up a little bit here. This one, I think. Should be between two guys, but I, I'm pretty sure I know which way we're going with this one. What do sack, you got, sir? Sack center. Like it's I, easy top. I like I mean, I, I want to be dramatic here, but Zach Center has found the consistency he needed to find last year because that's what you and I harped on last year. Was like one game he'd be the best offensive guard in football. The next game he would just play very middling. Now it's just dominance. He looks great pulling like either direction. He's been a force inside. His third center in three years. He's been awesome in this. Uh, most improved though in the group, I just want to give him a shout out is Trevor Keegan. Awesome, awesome this season. Like he put put back on some weight, and I think it's really helped him in run in uh, in block and run blocking. So I mean, I could say a lot of things about the offense on Carson Barnhart switching sides. I mean, week to week, series to series, but like it's Zach Center here. Yeah, uh, and Zach Zinter, according to PFF, which we all know means nothing and doesn't really uh, have any sort of weight whatsoever, but he leads all Power 5 offensive linemen with 80.4 overall grade. But this part I am interested in. He has allowed one pressure, zero sacks in pass protection. That goes along with the eye test of a guy that has finally figured it out and figured out, as you said, the consistency, which is, which is what we needed to see from Zach Sinter. But as powerful as a guard as we've had, I mean, it, you go all the way back, and this is one of the more athletic and technically sound guards that's played at Michigan. I freaking love watching this guy play. And upon rewatch, it's just even better than like what you first watch, like the first go around when you go back. And and now that I'm podcasting with you and you're just a, a fanatic, a fiend when it comes to the offensive line and all these different schemes, you appreciate it even more what he can do out in space or in a phone booth. 
you can't run this many running schemes with a bad offensive line or a bad offensive line coach. I mean, this is a co-endorsement of Sharon Moore, one of the few coaches in college football that is offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, not to mention the play caller. Like the offensive line play is not dipped. It was one of my like kind of quiet concerns coming in. Could he handle all this on his plate? The offensive line looks as good as it has in three years. Like, I mean, it looks just on par. I think 2022 was significantly better than 21 just because you have the Olu Ola team over vast artist piece, which is just a, a big upgrade there. I think this team right now, the offensive line is on par with last year, and they might have a higher ceiling. Wow, that's saying yeah. something. And, I mean, you're a little bit better out at the tackles now that Henderson's starting exactly. around into what we thought he would be. So I, I, I can't push back on that too much. That's high praise right there. Uh, all right, yeah, it's agreed. It's easy top on the offense there. Uh, but shout out to just the entire offensive line, particularly uh, Keegan and Barnhart. Barnhart's had to move back and forth and no matter where you put them. That's awesome. That's so hard to do. And for just for the casual listener, it's so hard to do because all of your footwork and mechanics are backwards. So like on right. one side, you're stepping back with a different foot, punching with a different hand, and then you're changing that. And it's very hard to do. And Barnhart does it seamlessly. Yeah, I'm with you there. Also, shout out to Jeff Barnhart, who is apparently uh, Jim Harbaugh's hero because he knows how to operate a skid steer. And uh, look, Jim, if that gets your blood pumping, I am forklift certified. Uh, I can operate the uh, the earth movers, some of the heavy equipment. Uh, I can certify cranes, uh, heavy. I can operate a crane. So just saying, Jim. If you need another hero, I got one right here. He's mine. <laughs> I'm a ready-made hero for you. But yeah, shout out to Jeff Barnhart, who apparently runs some type of construction company and warms the cockles of Jim Harbaugh's heart, which was just tremendous to hear. Um, all right, let's keep it moving, sir. Best defensive lineman. This one you would think would be a runaway, but this is fascinating, and, I, and I'm excited for this conversation. It's It's got to be in the center, though. The, yeah, there's names, there's arguments to be made, but like you watch the tape, it's still Chris Jenkins. Chris Jenkins is so impactful, is so dominant with his leverage, is so just they, – they move him around a lot. Like Mason Graham's injury really hurts his case here. She hasn't That's been enough thing. games. Kenneth Grant has his moments, but Chris Jenkins is more consistent, uh, more impactful in the run and the pass. But, I mean, we can split hairs here. Like if you want to make your case, I'm not going to fight back too much. So I would say – let's see if we can delineate this. Kenneth Grant is the highest ceiling – with the most insane frame like I think that mason frame. graham has the highest ceiling man oh my god you might be right that's why sophomores like, don't play like that in the interior no no they do not but like kenneth grant's size it alone helps. like if he is able to get to like the things that mason graham are doing he's doing between the ears and with like hand placement and technique that are well advanced like he's doing like uh, what was his name? Uh, I freaking loved watching him play. He was there for the first Hokie or Mike Martin. Yeah. Mike Martin, defensive tackle, who was just brilliant with his hand placement, former wrestler, like knew what he was doing, was always smarter. His push pull technique was flawless. And like, so what Mason Graham's able to do, yes, with his physical acumen, but also just with his smarts is you're, you're absolutely right about that. It is uncommon for a sophomore. It's the things you don't – I think he's a better athlete than Kenneth Grant too. Like Kenneth Grant's a good mm. athlete. I think he is a very good athlete. I just think Mason Graham could be a special type of player. Like you just don't see it. Like both have a very high ceiling. Like I'm not going to limit Kenneth Grant, especially for – I mean we're only yeah. six games into like his tenure here as a player. He's been one of the rising stars here, especially like the interceptions, plays he's making. Like you can push back on that. I have no evidence yet. It's just what I feel. 
Yeah, I mean, you just look at Kenneth Grant and you see what George has put out, a couple of those just absolute freaks in nature that are, you know, starting to show up in the NFL and really do the same thing at the next level. Kenneth Grant fits that physical profile, so that's kind of what I'm trying to lean into. But you're absolutely right about the Mason Graham thing. Like, this dude could end up being, I mean, he's better than Brian Brzee was at this point last year. And Brian so, Brzee went late first round. Jalen Carter is 6'3", 313. Mason Graham is 6'3", 318. So physically, yeah. He's yeah, there, man. Yeah. It's he's yeah. like Mason Graham is funny, like the way his his body is proportioned because like he doesn't look like he's six three three eighteen. He does not. No, he, and doesn't. he doesn't move like he's six three three eighteen at all. He moves no. a lot faster than that. So it's it's a fascinating discussion. I'm glad we could like kind of parse through it. And also, both of them return next year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a whole other year, and that might even be better than this year's. Yeah, as far as I mean, because Benny will be back. I think Cam Good probably moves on. I after think this Good's year, gone, but then you have Cameron Brandt and Trey Pierce, those true freshmen that are getting some run late in these games, already getting experience. Probably a transfer in there as well. Like Derek, like what you have back. Yep. Yeah, you really do. Absolutely. Uh, I'm fine with going Chris Jenkins here to get back to the original point, but it is not the runaway that we thought it would yep. be. I'll just say that. Uh, okay. Give me a swing player for the second half on offense. Somebody that will swing a game. Oh, come on. It's too easy. <laughs> like you're going to notice a trend here really quick, but it's Donovan Edwards. Like he's the home run hitter, sleeping giant of this whole thing. Like the game's coming. He's too versatile, too powerful, like too talented. We've seen it too many times. I can't say too enough. Like we're going to see it. Have to agree. I'll go Cornelius Johnson just to mix Ooh. it up. It is Donovan Edwards, but at some point, a, a number one corner is going to be able to limit Roman Wilson. Cornelius Johnson's going to have to have a big game at wide receiver at some point, but let's be real here. Donovan Edwards uh, is still that guy. And for those of you that are worried about his production and think he needs to sit on the bench in favor of Khalil Mullings, please stop. Uh, just I don't know. Maybe go find some grass. There's plenty of it out there. <laughs> Seek help. Please. No, don't, don't worry. Like my worry, my concern for Donovan Edwards is like a negative two. Just try, put your trust in me. Yeah. I mean, still had what four receptions, four carries and averaged like over four yards a carry, like over yeah, five. Yeah. He averaged five yards a carry. Like, come yeah, on. Five yards a carry. Yeah. So, I mean, two touches to a first down, still great in the past game. Now the numbers aren't going to blow anyone away, but they're not playing for stats this year. They're playing for a much bigger goal. So don't box score, good. watch, watch the games. I'm with you, brother. Uh, second half swing player on defense. Lots of names here that you could throw out. Rod Moore. I mean, He's due. If there's if there's a player that's due for a pick, uh, the, the team leader in interceptions last year doesn't have one yet this year, while Mikey and Will are already on the board. He's the third member of that that trio back there yep. of stars. So yeah, he's due. It's it's coming. Like still getting the feet underneath them, rotated him with the first team this week a little bit more than he did against Nebraska. You're gonna see it more and more. It's a luxury to have Keon Sab be so capable back there that he can fill in and allow Rod to get everything underneath him and get it going in the right direction. But it's coming. And he's gonna swing a game with an interception, a fumble, a tackle. He's just too good to be kept down. I'm gonna go Braden McGregor here. I'm gonna stick with yeah, him. Yeah, double down. 
I doubled down. I'll triple down whatever I got to do for my boy, Braden McGregor, starting to finally piece it together, starting to do it week in and week out. We need somebody that can make plays at the edge rusher position. He's been doing it by batting balls down, but he's also been very impactful as a rusher. He's starting to get better at that. Incredible as a run defender, setting yes. the edge, like really good at that. So I think that if he can just continue to, to do what he's doing, like a, as he's doing week in and week out, but improve upon the pass rush, we're going to get some more traditional drop back passers at some point. Eventually, there will be a passing offense that can threaten this defense and we will need a pass rusher. And when that happens, I still like McGregor. So whether even if I'm just looking at that Penn State game and saying, can we have somebody that that beats their guy one-on-one a couple times. That could be the difference in a game like that. So my eyes are on McGregor. The Penn State game of fashion now against our edges. Holy. Can't wait for that one. That's some good watching right there. I'm going to pull up a chair. Might need to uh, adjust the britches. Adjust the britches. 13, 14 road beers. Have ourselves (laughs) a time. God, those last three weeks are going to be just awesome. It's like the playoff start week 10. I can't wait, man. I'd like to say that, you know, we're at the halfway point. Things are about to get bigger. We have Indiana next week. So things actually take a tick down in competition, but eventually we will get there. Um, And, you know, enjoy this now because next season, quite a bit (laughs) more difficult, quite a step up in competition next year. So enjoy the, uh, the ease of this schedule for now. Uh, Let's keep it moving here, sir. Let's get the Joe carriage award for best blocker in space. Max Brennison. got this is this, this is a category just bred for me. I love that you named it Joe Carriage. It's perfect. Um, Brennison has just been a destructive force clearing the way for these running backs. I've been using a lot more 12 personnel, kind of using him as that fullback instead of a tight end this season. Just awesome what he's doing out there, man. Just seeking the destruction. Rocks the 44 number now, which is a much better, a perfect fullback number, if you will. Love what he's been doing this season. Just don't let him return any more kicks. Nope. Don't want to see any of that. Uh, I agree with you. I would like to give a special nod to Kenneth Grant for doing a little offensive blocking. There we go. On the big six, but I like Max Bredesen, Colston Loveland's incredible blocking in space. Our receivers are really great blockers. Uh, Cornelius Johnson's a really strong blocker in space. There's a couple guys here that you could talk about, but I I think Max Bredesen, the amount of snaps he gets when you know he's not a receiving threat, he's just in there to block. So got to give it to him there. Uh, Let's go to the Mohurst Award for Space Filler on Defense. Um, I think since we gave it to Chris Jenkins for Best Defensive Lineman, can we give it to Mason Graham here for Space Filler? We've already had the discussion. It's either Mason Graham or Kenneth Grant. Take your choice. Yeah, flip a coin. So we'll give it to the... uh, the law firm of Grant and Graham here. Um, the Dennis Norfleet Award for special teams excitement. Play or player that got you excited on special teams in a good way. I am not rewarding any of those up men fumbling the ball. Tommy Doman, the weapon. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. It has to be. The guy hits nukes every time he's like brought out there for a rare punt. I am ecstatic when I'm in attendance. I'm going crazy. Um, he hits moonshots. Like the ball goes just way. It's it's just it's exciting to watch anything done well, even punting. And I can't say enough good things about the weapon. I love that it's the Dennis Norfleet Award who was like the most exciting electric special teams player, and rewarding it to punters. This is last year. AJ Hinning would have won this last year, not this year. It's Doman time. <laughs> it's I'm Doman not on time. Demon time. I'm on Doman time. <laughs> 
Dome in the showman, baby. 47 yards a punt. Let's go. Electricity is in the air. Uh, I love it. What year is Tommy Doman, by the way? We got him for a bit, huh? I think yeah. he's a junior. Let me see. Got a little bit of a Doman run in our future. Oh, God, I, I hope, hope so. Because so. you know he had a redshirt year in there somewhere. Yeah. He's a so, junior. I mean, I, he's um, And then can James Turner come back, or is it Samaha time next year? I think it's Samaha time. I believe Turner's gone. But Doman can also kick. So, well, I mean, it could be a competition between them. But we have – so that's one. So we have at least – we have two more years of Doman, baby. <laughs> Buckle in. Could it be a Doman jersey for your boy? That would be a deep cut. I wear a Doman jersey in Ann Arbor. Your beers are on the house. I would be so proud of you if you got a Tommy <laughs> Doman jersey. That would be awesome. The deepest <laughs> cuts. Oh, man. All right, sir. Let's keep it moving here. Best catch of the year. I mean, we can probably. Come what, on what now. Come, Come on, on now. now. It's probably actually the best catch of the college football season. It's the Roman Wilson catch yeah. from last week or yeah. two weeks ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep it moving here. Best run play. Was it this week? I have I have two two nominations of mine. One's a little deeper cut. Um, the the deeper cut one is the first play against Bowling Green. It was a counter, and Corum took it like forty five yards down the sideline. Mm-hmm. But yep. every single player nails their assignment. Like all the blocking is perfect. The hole is massive. It was just it was textbook. I mean, it was more than teach tape. It was like what teach tape is based off of and drawn from. Uh, the only uh, another one I'd like to nominate would be the duo run by Kalel Mullings on third and one against Nebraska facing a nine man box against the best running defense in college football. The, the edge gets frozen because JJ can pull the ball. Now the nice wrinkle they've added to their favorite running play. Mullings takes it, scoots right past him and blazes to the end zone on third and one, just a tremendous, tremendous play. Look, that's the sort of thing that gets me excited. I love it. How about a little special shout out to the Blake Corum dive touchdown in this most recent game against Minnesota? That is how you execute the up and over dive, by the yes. way. That was perfect. Lawless. I don't think perfect. he was touched. Like that was absolutely excellent. And swatching uh the Nebraska Illinois game, our boy Brett Bielma might need to go in there on the offensive line because they could not get a foot to win that game. So seeing Blake Corum go up and over like that, I'm like, that's how you score from a foot out, baby. It's it's honestly a talent to be that good and like a skill to be that good at the goal line. Like to know how to hit the hole and get across the line, where to run, when to dive, when to reach the ball out. You know, that was tremendous by Corum. There's also the there was a duo in the East Carolina game when like the left side of the line parted like the Red Sea when the offense was like, All right, we're done with this shit. We're gonna score now. And like just yeah. opened everything up. So so many run plays to choose from man. Had 15 different concepts this year as we touched upon. I love you yeah. brought up the goal line work. Yeah, there's uh, there's been a couple plays where you could probably land a helicopter in the gap that's created. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there's been some absolutely dominant run plays here. So no wrong answers. Best throw of the year. Now, here's where there's a couple options. Um, I'd like to see where you go first here with this, though. Two nominations on my part. One, there's a throw against UNLV into a window that just doesn't make any sense. And only like, the throw. only like three quarterbacks in the country can make it when the uh, defender is retreating into the space. He has to get it there on a dime in rhythm immediately, or it's a pick. That's one. The other one, come on, last week, rolling to your left. That's my point down there, throwing to Roman in the end zone. Like that was, that's so hard to do. Like you're running full speed. Like that is just so hard to do. Such an impressive throw. So either one of those, even the East Carolina throw, on the smash, the corner in the end zone, like he baits the guy to come down a little bit and just drops a dime in there from like 25 yards out is just 
next level kind of like depth control. It's been so fun. My only complaint is that there's just not that many of them because he's sitting out all these fourth quarters. So we could have a lot more to watch, but Michigan's offense too good. So first world problems, but I'm going to go with rolling left, hitting Roman Wilson at full speed sprint out, just incredibly difficult level of difficulty. NFL evaluators watching that were like, I've seen what I need to see. This dude's got it for real. So that was awesome. Not that I want JJ to go. I'd love it if he sticks around for one more year, but at the same time, got a root for success for our boys. Been a fun one as far as the throwing offense. All right. Best play call on offense. This is we're getting real, real into it now, sir. This is quite a category. This is like the best actor award of the Academy Awards here. This one, it's not the sexiest, but I think it could be the most important. And it was the second drive against Rutgers. It was that drive when JJ is out of rhythm. Uh, One of the most dangerous things is football is to have a quarterback with like a shaken confidence and um, Sharon Moore, the play caller, understood that, gave him a couple spot passes, gave him a trick play, got him right back in rhythm, and we haven't looked back since. I thought that was massive. I thought it really swung the season in terms of the passing offense, and it really showed a complete control and just understanding of like scheme, but more importantly, your players. So I love that work by Sharon Moore. This is so great. This is this is why we podcast together, because we did not share. You gave me the defense to pick one and uh, you had the offense. We did not share what we were going to pick. But I love that independently, our brains kind of went the same way. What I looked for, uh, that is a great choice, by the way. And what I looked for on defense was similarly, how did we respond when we mm-hmm. need, when we were challenged? When did the defense rise up? And there wasn't a lot of that, to be honest, because the defense hasn't really been challenged. So I looked to Bowling Green, really the only adversity that we faced. And I looked at how the defense responded to those two turnovers. So what I'm looking at is first quarter, second turnover. The second turnover happened on special teams. At that point, it is three to seven. Uh, Bowling Green has the ball at this point and they are in field goal range. Michigan holds them four plays, nine yards. They don't go anywhere. Stout on the defense. Mikey Sainer is still filling in, stopping the run, forcing the field goal seven to six. That is what your defense does when you're put on the ropes, especially since we could tell pretty early on in that game, offense didn't have it. And the defense said, look, it needs to be us today. There's no question about it. So just not letting them to get that first down because things could have got a little uncomfortable there. Bowling Green goes right down and scores a touchdown and goes up in the first quarter. I'm not saying we lose that game. Things get a little uncomfortable. So I look for the response. I look for Mikey Sainra still, Chris Jenkins, your best players um, responding and setting the tone there. It's complimentary football is what you want to see. How you handle adversity in the moment. Like overarching, it wasn't a very adverse game or even night for that matter. So it's just like, how do you respond in the moment to this? Because it feels very important. And they just got went out there and handled their business, which they have all season. The offense has picked up the defense. Defense has picked up the offense. I mean, that's been the whole culture and framework of this team. Like nobody rattles. It's like, okay, next possession. Let's keep it moving. JJ screwed up once. It happens. Defense let up a touchdown at the end of the first half against Minnesota. It happens. Let's keep the ball going. I love that. Yes. Um, And to be fair, the best defensive series is any of the ones that ends with a pick six. But I was just trying to mix it up a little bit because obviously a pick six, that's as good as you can do. So just looked for a little adversity. And uh, like you, we we don't go for the sexy stuff at this point anymore. You can tell we're just getting a little bit older. We're, We're over there looking for good execution, strong team fundamentals. 
good punts, a long snapper that knows his way Stuff around. Stuff that applies to the end of the season, man. Field position matters. Offensive line matters. Understanding your players' adversity. We're, we're seasoned vets at this point. Seasoned. I love it. All right, sir. Give me your offensive MVP. J.J. McCarthy. Like, it's JJ McCarthy. It's, if J.J. has been so good this season, he's been the best quarterback of the hardball era, hands down, running away. I mean, could not be further in front. Like, you, you, I, I always appreciate your pushback on McCarthy because you always like, it's like some fans will say stuff. You have to see it till you believe it. And you got to see McCarthy, like, take some strides this year. And then you're like, that's my quarterback. Like, the runs yeah. against Nebraska, the throws to the side. I always love that. Like, you, you, you don't just blindly believe in it. And McCarthy has converted us all to McCarthyism through the first six games. 100%. With the quarterback, it's such a fickle thing. And a lot of it is so mental. And we've seen quarterbacks mm -hmm. really have strong starts and then fizzle out. So I've been a little bit hesitant to just hop all in. But let's, let's be real here. Come on now. It is time to get aboard here. I'm up in first class. Feet kicked up on someone else's couch. I am all aboard the, the JJ hype train. And you know, look, we'll see it against uh, a Penn State and Ohio State team, but we've already seen that last year. So he's already shown me what he can do in big games. What else is there to show other than to just complete it, win the whole damn thing, as they said. So the offensive MVP has been J.J. McCarthy. No questions asked. If you wanted to push back, it would have to be Zach Zinter, and you'd yeah. have to, to look at this offensive line. And you could actually probably make a pretty spirited argument, but come on now. I mean, with, with the, our history at the quarterback position, how much we've wanted and needed a game yeah. breaker, it, well, you got to like, give it to him. Look at wins above replacement. You put Giovanni Ohati right. for Zach Zinter, or you put Jack Tuttle out there for McCarthy. How much do things change? Good point. Even though it was good Jack Tuttle game against Hey, hey no shot at Tuttle. We love Jay Tuttle on this podcast. Jay Tuts. That's my guy. <laughs> That's my guy. King Tut. Let's go. King Tut. Let's go. <laughs> That's how nicknames happen, people. All right. Uh, defensive MVP. Now, I think your mind's going to go Chris Jenkins right away, but this, this, I, we need to have a discussion here. It's This is the essence of the no-star defense because it's the entire defensive line. That's yeah. who it is. Like it's everybody up front. It's all of them working together. It's the rotation. It's the edge pieces. It's the tackles. It's what they're, you can say the front seven. I'm trying to narrow it down just a little bit. The, the defensive line has been incredible, man. Just so physical, so good with their hands, rarely out of position, dominant in both the run and the pass. When there's a mistake, it's corrected immediately. Getting more pressure this year in the one-on-ones. Like I can't say enough good things about the defensive line play. MVP. It is. If you had to pick a person, that's why you'd probably go Jenkins. You'd probably yeah. go overall most consistent dominant player. He hasn't had that one play like Mason Graham just throwing himself like a shark breaching water and taking down a seal. What was that? Why was No one sideways? has plays like that. I don't know what that was. Like I have watched it 10 times. We watched that game four and I can't make anything of it. I've never seen like heads or tails of this. <laughs> nothing there superstar mason graham he does what he does yeah it was a breaching shark taking down a sea lion was the closest thing i could compare it to i don't even know either that or like a, a zeppelin crash i don't know like what what am i witnessing here insanity man yeah so uh it, it's tough to pick one mikey saner still maybe if if you're gonna go anybody outside oh, of the front seven you could say mikey saner still for the pick six and keeping that secondary together and yep. organized while we were waiting for rod moore and will johnson to come back you could make an argument there i don't know I like if you'd it. win it because of how great the front seven's been yeah. particularly the the defensive line and even more nuanced the defensive tackles 
Yeah, no, I, I like that Mikey call because does a lot in the back end, has two picks on the year, the one against East Carolina, and it really set the tone. Captain leads the team back there, and like you said, kept them together. I think that was the most important thing, especially without Harbaugh on the sidelines. So I like that, at least, at least that shout-out for him. Yeah, I'm with you there, sir. All right, last two categories here, best win and best moment. I'm going to say it, it's hard to say best win was Nebraska, the fact that Minnesota beat them. But I think Nebraska might be a better second-half team than Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say Nebraska. I mean, we're on the verge of shutting them out at home for the first time since the 60s. So, I mean, I think they're very well coached. I think Matt Rule does a great job. I think Heinrich Harburg presented some unique problems, like much more equipped than Jeff Sims to run an offense. So I think especially like offensively and defensively. Like I know you don't have the pick sixes like we had against Minnesota, but I mean that, that Nebraska game was 21, nothing before you blinked. I thought it was just tremendous win. Yeah. You could really convince me it was any one of Rutgers, Nebraska, or Minnesota. I don't know which one of those teams is the best or if anyone's going to, really stand out above the other ones in the second half of the season. So I do tend to agree with you that I think Rucker or excuse me, Nebraska is trending in the, in the right direction, which is wild to say, but <laughs> I, I trust Matt rule. And I think that they've got enough there to maybe get to six wins Yeah, uh, just to be a little bit different. I'll go with Rutgers. Cause I do think they're going to make it to six wins. Uh, they, they fought Wisconsin pretty tough last week. And yeah. I think that they can, they can find a way to get to bowl eligible. It's just really not that bad been that difficult of a of a first half slate let's be honest here no the second half is going to be a lot easier to pick because there's two contenders that really kind of rise above the rest there for us yeah they stand out oh man anything else from you sir i think we're gonna have to cut this one a little short we'll put everything else that we had planned into podcast too we still want to talk to troy we got a lot man we got a lot this week a lot yeah we got a lot to get into but awards took up more and i wanted to make sure that we gave time to talk about the michigan football team that we're witnessing that's what this podcast is about after all i mean 73 of 74 players played against minnesota i mean what kind of outrageous death the only person that didn't play was greg tar the backup long snapper like un- unbelievable man unprecedented times right now like you we frequently say it like these are the good times do not take them for granted like this team is bowl eligible six games in i remember sweating out bowl eligibility in 2013 like we are long long away from there Oh, man, it's great. Greg Tar. Yeah, let's do top five Tars. All right, you ready for this? <laughs> All right, the movie that ripped off Whiplash, uh, Greg. <laughs> Pitts, Tar Pitts. <laughs> tar Pitts. They, they had a moment. <laughs> oh, man, totally agree with you, though, sir. Uh, just the depth, the absurdity. Halfway through this thing, and this is the best-looking Michigan team that we've ever covered for sure. And I was I was kind of ready to say it. I, I deleted it. I, tw- I almost tweeted it out, and then I deleted it, that this is the best Michigan team of all time. It feels just a little premature because we haven't played anybody yet. Yeah. But, man, am I ready. I'm ready to get there. I am so ready to get there. I think a lot of people are. This team is loaded, and we've got all the pieces that we need. This team's in discussion with all the greats, like it's talent-wise and everything else. They're already in that discussion. Like To be the greatest, though, Got to win the whole thing. You just got to win it. So why tweet it now when we haven't won anything? So exactly. I'm not going to say it. We're in no rush. Enjoy this. Yeah. Enjoy it. These are the good times. All right, that's going to do it. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. 
Leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. We certainly would appreciate that. Share this podcast with your friends if you haven't already. We would appreciate that even more. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.